Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Verse 7, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. The last verse we'll read. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Why don't we read that together? Come on. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me me. Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to take a pause right there. We'll talk about what is happening in the second part of the story of Nehemiah, this Old Testament beautiful book over 2,500 years old that I believe God preserved it for his church today around the world to study, to learn as we lean into it, not only every day, but today as we gather here and different places where people are connected all over the world. I want to talk to you from this title or this subject, The Strength of the Hand. The strength of the hand. The strength of the hand. We're going to pray. And then let's talk about Nehemiah 2 for about 24, 25 minutes. And then we're going to worship one more time. Worship was beautiful. And the church sounds so beautiful when we worship. And so we'll worship one more time. We'll pray for all of us together. And then we'll go outside and change the world through compassion. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for each and every single person in this service and all the other services we have. Thank you for every single person that's connected here and around the world. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you for this family. Thank you for this home. God, thank you that today we can make a difference around the world through compassion. And we ask that you may help us, God, as we rearrange our budget and we put what's important before you, God, to uh, help kids in need. Thank you, God, for willing and generous hearts. Thank you for the book of Nehemiah. Speak to us today. God, we thank you for your love and your grace. It's not a coincidence that we're here. You love us, you're for us, and you're with us. And today, we know you want to teach us your word. Open up our eyes. Thank you for your loving kindness. We love you, we thank you. And it's in the name of Jesus that all of Calvary says, 
Come on, all of Calvary says. Can you make some noise for Jesus? One more time. Come on. Um, Beethoven is now known, world-renowned, as possibly one of the greatest classical composers of all time. Some of us have heard his pieces. Some of us know a little bit about his life. Beethoven is almost known possibly all around the world for what he did. If you study the life of Beethoven, if you read a little bit about his life, you'll begin to find out that at the age of 30, Beethoven began to lose his hearing. At the age of 30, he began to have difficulties, and it aggravated him. It bothered him. Obviously, he was a composer, and he thought, how will I keep on continuing to make music, losing my hearing? Fifteen years later, even though he was aggravated and at times thought about not composing anymore, by the age he turned 45, he completely lost his hearing. At the age of 45, he went completely deaf, and yet he, he still continued to put pieces together. In fact, it was after the age of 45 that most of his more important pieces were composed. The Ninth Symphony, which is known as the greatest symphony a man has written, was made well after that when he had completely lost his hearing. A Harvard professor speaking of Beethoven, Arthur Brooks, he stated that deafness freed Beethoven as a composer because he no longer had society's soundtrack in his ears. How many know we're living in a world full of distractions? We are living in a world, in a city full of distractions where everything is pulling at us. Something is trying to grab your ear, my ear, our eyes. Oh, everything is pulling at us, whether it's a marketing campaign, advertisement, commercials. We scroll on social media all day. and They tell us what to buy, where to go, what should we look like, what should we smell like, right? All these things are pulling for our soul, for our money, for our attention. We're living in a world full of distractions. And I just think it causes a problem. I'll put it this way today. Distractions blur directions. It's distractions in our life that come to mess up the direction of our life. Have you ever been distracted and all of a sudden you have no idea where you're at or how you got there? Recently, me and Anna, we were driving in the car. We're having a lovely conversation because I love talking to my wife all day. She's the queen, my Colombian queen. And as we're driving, we're having such a great conversation, I literally forget to get off on an exit. And I get so frustrated because it was one of those things where the next exit is like 15 minutes away. Has that ever happened? And I'm just frustrated, and that went from a nice conversation to a discouraging conversation. And I had to get off on the next exit and make a U-turn, but because I was distracted, I lost directions. And I think it's happened in your life as well. It's happening in the world. We're living in a world that's full of distractions. Everybody's telling you what to do, where to go, and all of a sudden we have no idea what to do with our life because everyone and everything is pulling at us. But I think if God wants to use us, you got to live a focused life. you got to live a life that says, God, I'm going to live a life that is focused, not lost by the distractions of this world. And I came to tell you today that I believe God has uniquely designed you. God has his hand upon you. God put an anointing on you. God has put his spirit on you because he wants to use you for his divine purpose, for his call, for his glory. But you have to walk focused and not distracted by the world around us. Can I get an amen? 
Oh, today some of us are in here and we have no idea where to go, what to do, but I'm lost, I'm confused. I don't know what my next step is in life. Can I tell you when his hand comes upon you, he'll give you directions, he'll guide you, he'll lead you in the right moment. But today we have people that have no idea where to go because if there's anybody that wants you to be lost, it's the enemy of the soul. The Bible calls him the enemy of the soul. It's Satan. Let's talk about him for a moment. It's Satan. It's the dragon. It's the serpent. El diablo. Satanás. <laughs> right? he, he hates our soul. And he hates that God has deposited something unique and special in each single one of us. There's an assignment over your life. There's a call of God over your life. God wants to you. It is not a coincidence that you're here. It is not a coincidence that you know his word, that you're full of his spirit. But God has done it with purpose, on purpose. But the enemy of the soul hates it. And if he cannot kill you, he'll distract you. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. You should look him up. I love this quote. My favorite quote from Charles Spurgeon. He actually said this. His goal is to kill us. But if he can't kill us, he'll distract us. Satan seeks to lure God's prophets into slumber, for he knows that dumb dogs that are given to sleep will never do any great injury to his cause. He must think it almost as well to have a Christian asleep as to have him dead. He would certainly sooner see him in, in hell, but next to that, he is most glad to see him rocked in the cradle of presumption, fast asleep. Ooh, if there's anything the devil wants to do, if he can't kill you, he'll distract you and leave you sleepwalking through life. Not walking in your purpose, not walking in your function, not walking in how God created you, not walking in your giftings, in your inclinations, how God designed you. He wants you rocking to sleep in life. And today, I just think that out of Nehemiah, we can see that God wants to wake up some leaders, godly men and godly women who understand their call and their function in life, who understand they have a spiritual job from God. And many times, it's our physical job that distracts us. You have a spiritual job from God. And if you free yourself from distractions, you can make a piece out of your life. You can make an orchestra. You can make a symphony, a spiritual symphony that will change your family, that will change your home. That will change the world around. Or am I talking to somebody this morning? Am I talking to somebody that wants to change the world and says, God, use my life. God, use my marriage. God, put your hand on me. God, do something beautiful out of my life. I need distractions to be gone because I have a job for you. God has a job for you. And I wonder how many of us just sleepwalk through life. And the hand of God wants to come upon you and I this morning. I'm not talking to a church that's asleep. I'm not talking to a church that just showed up to waste their Sunday morning. I'm talking to a church that wants to change the world. That says we can change Miami. We can make a difference. We can go to Togo. We can go to downtown. We can go to Windward. We can go to West Kendall. We can go to Homestead. Am I talking to the right people this morning? Can I get an amen? Focus God's hand on your life. You need to focus on that and say, I'm going to tune out distractions to focus on all that God has for me. I put it this way. Focus on the hand of God to do the work of God. You and I today, this morning, you need to focus on the hand of God to do the work of God that he's called for your life. Come on, church. Can I get an amen? amen. I don't know if you had coffee this morning. I had two already. So I'm, I'm, come on, I'm excited about the book of Nehemiah. I said this before, if you come to Calvary for a number of years, we're not here to take up space. Can I get an amen? amen? 
We are here to make a difference in the world. And so I refuse to be a believer that believes in Jesus that came and gave his life to be asleep the rest of my life, to be distracted the rest of my life. I'm going to tune out distractions, make a decision to mute the distractions so that you can make a difference in the world. I'm going to make a decision to mute distractions. I'm going to mute some things in my life that don't feed my soul. I'm going to mute some things in my life that don't benefit my family. I'm going to mute some things that don't build my marriage. Come on, I'm going to block some things that don't make me better. I'm going to, I'm going to tune out some things that don't let me compose what God wants to do in my life. And so today I'm going to make a decision to focus on his hand to do his work. You were created to do God's work. What do you need to tune out so that you can compose God's spiritual call over your life? Nehemiah understands this. If anybody could be distracted, it was Nehemiah. Nehemiah's working in a palace. Let's recap a little bit. If you weren't here last week, Nehemiah's living in Babylon, and he's under the Persian Median Empire. Just to give you a little bit of context, the people of God, obviously, their country is Israel. Their city is Jerusalem. And uh, you go back through history and you'll see how they get there. But they began to disobey God. The people of God began to literally turn their back on God. They rebelled against God. They did whatever they wanted. They were marrying multiple women. They were having orgies. They were aborting babies. They were worshiping false gods. I mean, you go back through the Old Testament and people were wicked. It's humanity. We turn our back on God and we do whatever we want. And so God's like, well, I'm telling you, you, you keep choosing what you want to do. You're going to end up in destruction. He's a good father that tries to warn us and tries to help us. But how many know we, we usually do what we want to do? Yep. And then when we're in destruction, we turn to God like, God, why? And he's like, I told you. And so the people of God turned their back on God and they're doing whatever they want. And first the Assyrians come. The Assyrians were this big superpower in the world. And they take out the northern kingdom. The people of God, their, their country got split between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom gets literally wiped out by the Assyrians. They were the big first world superpower. Then came the Babylonians. The Babylonians were the second world power. and They come and destroy Jerusalem, and they take all the people from the southern kingdom captives to Babylon. The Babylonians take them to Babylon, and this is where we get the stories of Daniel. This is where we get the stories of Esther, who go and live in Babylon, 800 miles away from God's home country and God's city for them. And we see all the stories in the Old Testament of people that were under the Babylonian empire. Out of that came a bigger world superpower called the Persians, the Persian Median Empire. After that will come the fourth one, the Roman Empire, which is Jesus' time. But this is right before that, about 450, 460 years before. The Persian Median Empire is in charge. Nehemiah, he is born and raised in captivity 800 miles away from Jerusalem. And his job is a cupbearer. He tastes the wine and the food before the king because King Artaxerxes, he's treated like a god and people want to destroy him, right? It was the Assyrians, Babylonians, Persian, Persians. Next, some other world power wants to come and so they want to take out kings so that other kings can come in charge. So what they would do is that they have cupbearers that taste the food and wine so that if they try to poison him, the cupbearer would die first. Apply for that job. That's really good. <laughs> By this time, most kings actually knew this is how you take them out. So they were doing different things to take out kings. And so he, he didn't have a bad job, actually. He ate great food. He was living in the palace. He had longhorn steaks all day. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Cheesecake factory steak, Diane. That's not five-star food, I know, but I like it. Um, He's drinking good wine, and he's tasting and drinking everything before it gets to the king. But he's bothered because he knows that God's city 
is completely destroyed, devastated, desolated. It's literally in ruins and in rubble. So Nehemiah, he begins to get bothered by that because something should bother us when we know something is not right. Come on, we can't be the church of Jesus Christ and live in ignorance. Something on the inside, if we really know God, come on, if we're really believers, we can't continue living in this world when we see the problems around us and stay quiet. Like, we can only stay quiet for so long when we see families being destroyed, when we see children being indoctrinated, when we see what's going on in our country and around the world. At some point or another, there has to be Nehemiahs that stand up and say, I don't got it all together, but I know this ain't right. Come on, it takes leaders to stand up and say, somebody's got to say something. Worship needs to come back. Oh, service needs to come back. God needs to come back to our marriages, to our homes, to our schools, to our government. Come on, are there any Nehemiahs in the house of God here in additional seating that say, I won't stay quiet. I serve a good God. Can I get an amen? And so Nehemiah, he gets amped up like you are right now. He's like, ah, somebody needs to say something. Okay, if you read the book of Ezra, remember that's his friend, the contemporary, right before Nehemiah. Ezra tells about this man called Zerubbabel. If you're pregnant, that's a good name for your son. Zerubbabel, he goes first to Jerusalem. He leads a big charge, and they go first trying to revive Jerusalem. After Zerubbabel goes Ezra. Ezra's a spiritual leader. He goes with a second group years later, and they try to restore Jerusalem. Nehemiah knows. He goes, okay, Zerubbabel has gone, Zuri, Ezra, all of them have gone. How is it going? About 15 years have gone by, 140 years have gone by since the destruction from the Assyrians. And he's like, how's it going? Some of her friends come back in the palace and he's like, hey, how's Jerusalem? How's my dad's city? He knows God's promises. He knows that worship is going to come back one day. Somebody, the Messiah is going to come through Jerusalem. Somebody needs to restore God's city. When you know God's promises, you'll fight for God's promises. Come on, I'm talking to somebody today. When you know what God wants to do, you can't stay quiet. You can't stay still. And he's like, something needs to happen in Jerusalem. How is it going? And they tell him, oh, it's in ruins. Ah, Jerusalem is devastated. They've tried and we're kind of rebuilding, but, but it's not good. And he gets upset and he starts praying. In chapter one, we learn that he begins to pray and weep. And here he is serving the king food and wine. He tastes it first and he eats it and then he gives it to the king. And he's all sad and devastated. And the king notices. He's like, what's wrong with you? You're not sick. Why are you sad? Now, to be sad in front of Artaxerxes, you had to be careful because he would kill you. He killed his brother to get to the throne. This guy's an assassin. He's out of his mind demented. This is not a nice king. And if you're sad before the king, he will just take off your head. But Nehemiah is like, I don't care if my life is on the line. I have to go fix what's wrong. Because when you want change in a community, when you want change in your life, you are willing to lay your life down. And though it costs me my life, I got to speak up for what's not right. Come on, somebody understood that. And the king goes, what, what's wrong with you? And he says, well, my father's city, it's in ruins. And he gives him the explanation that we just read. And the king basically is like, what, what are you saying? And he's like, oh, if you would send me and send me. And he gives this big request. Okay, part two of this series, I'll just give three applications. You can read it, and we're reading it throughout the week. You can write a whole bunch of things that you see. But number one, if there's going to be change in our society, if there's going to be change in our personal lives, if I really want to make a difference in my own life, it starts with me. Number one, there needs to be leadership that lives with vision. Somebody say live with vision. 
Nehemiah was a man who lived with vision. Though he was in a palace, though he was 800 miles away, he had a vision and he didn't let the palace distract him that one day Jerusalem would be rebuilt and he had a vision. So when the king asked, he was prepared with an answer. I wonder how many of us, if the king asked us today, what do you want? Would we be prepared with a vision and an answer? What, what do you want me to do with your life? You would have an answer. You have a vision. Well, this is what I want my marriage to look like. This is what I want my family to look like. This is what I want my community to look like. Do we have vision? Because anytime God raises up a leader, he has to have vision. She has to have vision. God's not going to raise up people that are confused by life. And so today, let the book of Nehemiah begin to speak to your heart and to my heart. I need to have some vision in my life. The Bible says, he who has no vision, because people don't have no vision, they cast off restraint. People perish with no vision. What does that mean? That one paraphrase that says, oh, people cast off restraint. What does that mean? You do whatever you want when you have a vision for your life. That's why there's a lot of young people today that are just doing whatever they want because they don't have a vision of who I want to be, where I want to go. That's why we smoke whatever, drink whatever, sleep with whoever, because I don't have a vision. This is who I want to be in five years, in 10 years, in 15. Get a picture of the man or the woman of God. Get a picture of a man. Somebody needs to get vision this morning and say, this is my family. These are my children. This is my community. This is my home. This is my church. This is my city. Somebody shout vision. You need to get a vision on the inside. Otherwise, you'll do whatever comes across your way. There's no vision. I'm, I'm going to be a, pers a person that doesn't do this, that does do that. Because Nehemiah is a man with vision. Though he's working in the palace, though he's eating the Cheesecake Factory bread, he has a vision. He has a vision that Jerusalem is going to be restored. Do you have a vision? I wonder today if God is asking some of us, what do you want? In fact, if God answered your prayer today, would anything change in your community? If God answered, if God gave you a blank check today, what do you want? I'll do it for you the way this king did. What would change in our community? What would change in our city? Do we have a vision to say this needs to be made right? God puts his hand on people with vision. Can I get an amen? amen. God puts his hand on people who know what they want to do in life. God doesn't put his hand on lazy people. God doesn't put his hand on confused people. God doesn't put his hand on people that are irresponsible. He puts his hand on people with vision, on people who know their calling, on people who are not distracted. You need to get focused today because there's an assignment over your life. Today, God wants to use you. He wants to use your family, your marriage. He wants to use your life, your business, your gifts, your talent. He wants to use you, but you need to be focused. Somebody say focus. Are you focused to do all that God has called you to do? Nehemiah could have said, well, this is a big king in front of me, and he may kill me. But he understood that God governs kings. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Woo! Kings may govern servants, but God governs kings. And if you and I are a people who understand who God is and we live a life of worship, let me tell you, he who kneels before the king can stand before any king on earth. So we must understand who God is. I got a vision. I got a purpose. Some of you, there's a calling and a gifting. God has wired you a specific way. There's something you have that I don't have. There's a gifting inside of you that I don't have. We all need each other. We are the body of Jesus. 
And God is looking to see who he puts his hand on. The strength of the hand. He makes a big request. He says, well, if you can, king, send me. And don't just send me. Send me with a couple letters. I'm going to need some letters for the governors. I'm going to need some letters for the king of the forest. I'm going to need a whole lot of letters. You're going to send me with bonus. He had a vision of what he wanted to do. Do you have a vision of what God wants to do with your company, with your life, with your family? If God were to ask today, what do you want? Nehemiah was prepared. He lived with vision. He lived with vision. And he says, because the hand of God was upon me, he sent me. Because his hand was on me. The hand of God signifies him empowering you, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the hand of God. It's God's specific power for you to do your function in the kingdom of God. Today, I think the hand of God is looking and searching for people who say, God, use me. The Bible says that Nehemiah literally goes from one verse to the next where he says he was now on his way to Jerusalem. Because he was a man with vision, but number two, he was prepared for opposition. Number two, if we're going to be leaders, we need to prepare for opposition. Somebody say, prepare for opposition. Come on, be with me, 11 a.m. Prepare for opposition. Here's what I'll tell you. Not everybody's going to like that you want to serve God. Not everybody's going to like that you want to change things for the better. There are some people who are used to their dysfunction. There are some people who are okay living in mediocre, below average ways. And when you come and disrupt that, they get angry. Nehemiah's like, I can't stand to see this city in ruins. And when he decides to make a difference, oh, how many know, ugly people will pop up out of nowhere. Demonic spirits will pop up out of nowhere. Hear me out, church. Look what the Bible says, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10. But when Samballot, the horror knight, horror knight, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, when they heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Nehemiah was trying to build... And here we have these two haters, ugly people. Their names alone show they were ugly. Ugly people. There's going to be some people in your life that don't like when God begins to change things. There are going to be some people in your life that don't like when you choose to do better, when you choose to change your life, when you choose to leave an addiction, when you choose to better your marriage. Oh, before it was all good when we all used to hang. Oh, when we used to be at the bar till 3 o'clock in the morning, partying, popping things out till 5. And we all got home drunk, and your wife is mad, she'll get over it. Ah! <laughs> I don't know who does that. <laughs> How many know, as soon as you decide to change something, oh, oh now you want to change, oh, now you're a fanatic, now you're going to church. No, it's not that I'm a fanatic, it's that Jesus came and he gave his life for me. I got to change. I can't continue living the same. Oh, he paid the price for me. I got to change. I got to change my life. I got to change my marriage. I got to change my city. Oh, opposition will come when you're on the other team now. Come on, somebody. Oh, when you were on Satan's team, everybody was happy. But the minute you went against them, Pastor Skip uh, Heisig, he calls it Lucifer's law. He said, anything God loves, Satan hates. And when God acts, Satan reacts. Oh, the minute you decided to change your life, the minute you decided to leave that addiction, the minute you took out distraction, oh, he put a target on your back. Because he knows now you're working for the king of heaven. Come on, somebody. And some Sam Ballots and Tobias will come up. And they'll try to distract you. Don't let opposition stop you. 
I'm here to talk to somebody. God put a dream in your heart. God put a ministry calling on your heart. You are specifically designed by God, by the divine. There's a calling on the inside of you, and you have all these ideas, and you've let opposition stop you, but the devil is a liar. Come on. He's under our feet. Some of us need to be careful not only with Sambalas and Tobias, but that we don't become Sambalas and Tobias. Are you hearing me, church? Because sometimes somebody will share something with us, and we're like, oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't like that idea. Togo, Africa. I uh, sponsor a child. Somebody should sponsor me. My life is hard. I don't know why we go to Robert Morgan, that big school. I don't know. I like this. I like my seat. I like my parking here. And what do you mean we need another building? Right? If you're not careful, we'll become Sam Ballas in somebody else's life. Right? All of a sudden, your wife shows up. Baby, I think we should pray every night together. I'm, I'm watching the heat game. I don't know about praying right now. <laughs> J.I. Packer says, in local churches and in parachurch bodies, any leader who values order above ardor and routine above revival and one who pours cold water on visionaries, as soon as they, as soon as they propose something be done, they risk becoming a new Sambalit or Tobiah. Lord, keep me from being a Sambalit or Tobiah. But I want to be a leader that stands up that says, God, use me. In, in my own organization, in my own company, with my own family. Why? Use me to rebuild the cities of my marriage, of my life, of my city, of my country. God can use us. It starts in our world. But opposition will come. In fact, I would say opposition is not a sign that God's against you. Many times opposition is a sign that God is for you. O.S. Hawkins, he actually puts it this way. O.S. Hawkins says, if you have not met the devil head on, then you are most, most likely going the same way he is. Every single time you try to go against the plans of Satan, you're going to meet him head on. But don't let opposition stop you. Many times opposition is a confirmation that God is with you, his hand is on you, and he's lifting you up as a leader in Jesus' name. In fact, many times you need opposition to lift you up. Come on. We were on a plane several weeks ago, and you know how it is. You're on the runway and you sit down and you can't lean your chair back one inch. You got to be straight because that makes a difference. <laughs> and you start going down that runway and everything's shaking. And you're like, you hope they put the luggage right. And you're going 100 plus, 200 plus, 300 plus miles an hour down that, run, down that runway. And while you're going in one direction, what we sometimes don't even notice is that outside of the plane, there's wind going the opposite direction. But the plane needs to pick up speed and go against the wind because it's against the wind that the plane begins to lift up. Some of us, we don't like winds coming against us, but it's the winds against us that are going to begin to lift us up. When we keep on going, when we don't throw in the towel, when we say, God, use me, I'll be the Nehemiah, I'll be the Jeremiah, I'll be the Esther, change my marriage, change my city, change my home. Oh, when we say, send me, come on, we'll go against opposition. The book of Isaiah chapter 54 says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. By the way, it never says that weapons won't be formed. Weapons will be formed, but they won't prosper. Can I get an amen? Opposition will come, but they won't stop. But God has put a plan in your heart. And I believe God has put a calling over our church. And I believe God has put his hand on so many of us here. Let opposition come. It won't prosper. In Jesus' name. 
Nehemiah ignores Sanballat and Tobiah. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Sanballat and Tobiah, they appear all throughout the book. Ugly people all throughout the book trying to stop Nehemiah. You're going to see next week. They ridicule Nehemiah. Nehemiah gets to the city. The Bible says he gets to Jerusalem, and he doesn't tell a lot of people his plans. He doesn't tell a lot of people what God wants to do in his life. Because when God puts a vision in your life, you got to be careful who you share it with. Because some people are haters. Some people want to disrupt you. Some people will just be negative about your marriage and your calling, your family. And the Bible says that at night, at night, he begins to get up. And at night, he goes to inspect the city. Leaders who want to change anything, they work hard. Leaders are not lazy people. Can I get an amen? You want to be a leader, you can't be lazy. You can't be lazy about the change you want in your life. You can't be lazy about what God has put in your heart. Leaders are not lazy. Leaders who want to change, they work hard. When I talk to people, I automatically know who really wants to change in their life because they're willing to put in the hard work. Can I get an amen? amen. Some of us, we wanted to change some things in our life, we put in the hard work. Yeah. And I'll ask them, you been to the point with a pastor? No, not yet. You joined a connect group? No, not yet. You joined Dream Team? No, not yet. You want to go see a therapist? No, not yet. You don't want change, you want to remain the same. Yeah. You want sympathy, not change. And there's a big difference between the two. Yeah. Nehemiah wanted a change in his city, so he got up at night. He only grabbed a few people, and at night he would go work. The kingdom of God is not built by lazy people, but it's built by people who say, I'm going to work. And he started looking around. The Bible says that Jerusalem was so much in ruins, his horse couldn't even walk through some of the areas. It was ruins everywhere. How could people live like this? Today, I think, come on, we just look across our city, our world, and we can say the same. How do, how do people live like that? The problem is sometimes we get so used to our own dysfunction, we'll live that We'll just live in the middle of dysfunction. Yeah, my marriage is below average. Yeah, my kids are all, we none of us talk. There's grudges and anger problems. We're used to living in the rubble. We're used to living in the ruins. Nobody says anything. Nobody stands up. Nobody works hard to make a change. And so we're just used, you ever seen the show hoarders? People who stuff their house with everything. The camera crews can't even get in there when they get there. Right? Your house is so full of mess and junk, but you're used to it. Some of us are spiritual hoarders. And we got dead things around us. We got bad habits. We got addictions all around us. And it takes a Nehemiah to come and say, hey, what are you, what are you doing? A Nehemiah who works when everybody else is sleeping. A Nehemiah who sees what nobody else sees. Lord, let me be like a Nehemiah. I don't know about you, but I read Nehemiah. I'm like, Lord, let me be like a Nehemiah. Cause something in me that I got to live above reproach. I got to live fixing the walls of my own life and my city and my marriage and my community. Lord, put a passion in me. We can't continue living in this way. So today I believe God's speaking to the church at large around the world and say, where are my Nehemiahs that are going to rebuild the community? And Nehemiah goes at night, he begins to inspect because when, when God has called you, you got to prepare and plan. Of us need night vision the way Nehemiah had night vision to see what nobody else sees or show me after three days Nehemiah begins to rally the people Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 17 we didn't read it but I'll read it now Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 17 he says then I said to them you see the trouble we're in we're about to finish Nehemiah literally he gathers the people probably in the town square he's like is anybody seeing all this trash has anybody seen the rubble? Does anybody see the broken walls? 
Like today, has anybody seen how they're trying to indoctrinate our children? Has anybody seen how now marriage has no value? Has anybody seen how now babies in the womb don't matter? Has anybody seen the racial tension? Has anybody seen the classism that exists? Has anybody seen the hatred around the world? Hello, does anybody see it? Nehemiah's like, do you not see the trash that you're living in the middle of? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. And then he says, come. Oh, let us build the walls of Jerusalem. Come on, that's the leader talking right there. Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Nehemiah stands up a leader. He's a man with vision. He's a man who is prepared for opposition. And then number three, he's a man with hands on the mission. He's a man with hands on the mission. Because listen, when God's hand comes upon your life, it's so that your hand goes upon the mission. He puts his hand on people who say, God, use my hands for the mission. Use my hands to make a difference. Use my hands to make a change. Use my hands to change my city. Use my hands to change my country. Use my hands to heal. Use my hands to deliver. Use my hands to transform. Use my hands to build. Nehemiah is not afraid to put his hands on the mission. He went from holding stakes and plates and wine cups to holding a shovel, perhaps an axe. Nehemiah went from a cupbearer to a construction worker because when you understand the call of God over your life, your hand's on the mission. Hand of God. He calls people out. He's like, does anybody see this? When God's hand is over your life, you begin to speak as a leader and you rally people to make a change. Don't keep living in your dysfunction. Don't keep living in your ruins. Somebody here today, stop living in your addictions. Stop living in the way your life is headed. You're headed to destruction. It's time to rebuild the walls in Jesus' name. And how do people respond? Verse 18, and I told them about the hand of my God that has been upon me for good. And the words that the king spoke to me. This is how they respond. Yeah. Let, let us. Let us rise and build. Sometimes all it takes is a leader to speak and everybody will follow. Yeah. Hey, wake up from your condition. Don't keep living this way. Yes. Let us rise up and build. And I love this last part. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. The hand of God upon Nehemiah caused the hand of others to be strengthened. The strength is in the hand. The hand of God will come upon your light today. And as you begin to call out and as you begin to speak out and as you begin to stand up, I'm not saying you have it all together. I'm not saying we're going to be, live perfect lives, but as we try to follow the perfect one, we start rising up as Nehemiah's and you say, Lord, put your hand over my life. Lord, put your hand over my mouth. I, I, I don't want anything else. I'm telling you, I don't care about the cars or the houses or all these things. Those are all good and we'll enjoy them. All I need is the hand of God over my life. All I need is his anointing. All I need is his spirit. All I need is his power. All I need is his favor. All I need is his touch. All I need is his covering. All I need is the hand of God over my house. Oh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord God. Nothing else matters but his hand upon us. And when his hand comes upon you, oh, everything begins to change. Let's stand up to our feet all across this place. It's the hand of God that makes the difference. 
I'm telling you today, some of us, we're thinking about everything else in this life that we need right. Can I'm telling you, the first thing you need is God's hand. It's God's hand. It's God's hand upon you. Come on, why don't we lift up our hands all across this place? One last verse, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. Never walk away from someone who deserves help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Wow. In other words, God puts his hand on you so that you could be his hands on earth. Listen to me. God puts his hand on you so that you could be his hands on earth. Come on, with every hand lifted here and additional seating around the world, if you're able and willing, why don't you lift up your hand? Hands up everywhere. Come on, why don't you talk to him right there and say, God, use my hands. The strength of the hand. Lord, I need your hand upon my life. Lord, I need your hand upon my marriage. Come on, why don't you talk to him right there where you're at. Father, today we come before you with hands lifted, saying, God, use our hands to rebuild. We see the condition of the lives around us. We see the condition of our city. In the name of Jesus, come on, I believe the Holy Spirit is here. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, Father, place your hand on me. Put your Holy Spirit on me. Pour out your anointing over my life, God. God, I need your hand. I need your healing hand. I need your, your saving hand. I need your, your delivering hand. Come on, somebody. Begin to lift up your voice in the name of Jesus and say, God, place your hand upon my life. I need your favor. I need your touch. I need your anointing. I need you to go before me, behind me. I need you to surround me. And no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I'll live with a vision. I'll prepare for opposition. And I'll put my hands on the mission because your hand comes upon me. Hallelujah. Today, you, you need to block out some distractions of your life right now. Right now, hands lifted. There's some of you, God is speaking to you. You need to block out some things of your life right now. God wants to create a spiritual symphony out of your life. But until you become deaf to the distractions around you, he won't do it. God is looking for focused leaders, focused people. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. God, use our hands. We have our hands lifted all over this place saying, God, we want to be your hands. Let your hand come upon us so that we could be your hands on this earth. Let your hands come upon us so we could be your hands in Togo, Africa. Let your hands come upon us so that we could be your hands in Miami, Florida. Let your hands come upon us so that we can go into the prison system and preach the gospel. Let your hands come upon us, God, so that we can begin to fight against human trials. Let your hands come upon us so that we make a difference in the workplace and the office. God, we are the light of the world. Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we pray that right now you would move all over this place from here to additional seating. The Spirit of God come waking up those who have been asleep. Come waking up those who have been asleep to your call, to your name, to your voice, to your calling, to your anointing. Come waking them up, waking them up. Wake up in the name of Jesus. Wake up in the name of Jesus. You've been distracted. You've been distracted. It's all good. It's a new day in Jesus' name. Come on. It's a new day in the name of Jesus. Wake up. Wake up. Some of you, you've been bound. You've been messing around with things you shouldn't mess around today. He says, wake up. You're a leader in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you bring freedom in this room. I pray you bring freedom to additional seating. I pray you bring freedom to every household watching. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I sense God's spirit is just doing something. I'm going to take just one more minute. God's doing, God is speaking to somebody in here. You need to let that thing go. Let that addiction go. Let that habit go. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Be free in the name of Jesus. Be free in the name of Jesus. Be free of those negative voices around you. Be free of all that comes against you. Be free in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to make one more call. With every eye closed, every head bowed. I'm going to make a salvation invitation and then I want Pastor Phil to come up here and tell you about a free gift and closed service but with every eye closed every head bowed maybe this is your first time here maybe somebody invited you you're here in additional seating or first time watching and you say Alex I don't know who God is I feel so far from God maybe you're like I don't even know what I'm doing here I I know I got wrong things in my life God probably wants nothing to do with me or maybe you've known God for a while but you've walked away can I tell you, my friend, the Bible says all of us are sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. The Bible says that there's not one perfect person in this place. I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all done wrong, thought wrong, said wrong. And the Bible says that our sin separates us from God. God is holy. Yes, he's love, but he's holy and he can't be with sin. And sin becomes the dividing wall between us and God. But the Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Jesus, he came and Jesus grabbed all of my sin, your sins. The Bible says that the penalty, the end of sin is death. You keep living in sin, it will kill you mentally, emotionally, spiritually, many times physically. At the end of sin is death. And so there, there's a price to pay for sin is death. And Jesus says, I'll take death so that you can receive life. The Bible says that Jesus came and he grabbed my sins, your sins. Jesus grabbed the sins of the world, put them on his shoulders. The Bible says that Jesus went up on a cross. He was perfect, blameless, pure, and there he took death so that we could receive life. Jesus died on that cross. They put him down in a grave. He was dead for three days, but the Bible says that after three days, Jesus Christ, he resurrected. I believe with all my heart, Jesus is alive, and today he wants to give you a brand new beginning, a brand new start. Come on, I need pastors praying, dream team praying. Come on, this is the most important moment. Don't leave this place without this invitation. Today, if you don't know Jesus, if you're saying, Alex, I need salvation. I know I've been living in sin. I know I've done wrong. I've done some things nobody knows about. There's good news. Jesus comes, and he's going to give you a brand new opportunity. He's going to give you the peace that you've been missing, the hope that you've been missing, the joy that you've been missing. With every eye closed, with every head bowed, if you're here and you say, Alex, I need Jesus, I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, I want you to put your hand up in the air. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out. Every eye closed in a moment of privacy, in a moment of prayer. But if you say, Alex, I need forgiveness for my sins, from here to additional seating, everyone watching online, I want you at the count of three to throw up your hand. If I can see you, I'll see you. I want to see who I'm praying for. Hold it up high enough, long enough for us to see you. And then I want you to put it right back down. At the count of three, you raise your hand. Hold it up for a few seconds. If you say, I need Jesus. Today, I need forgiveness. Today, I need a brand new beginning. I want God in my life. At the count of three, raise it up. One, two, 
three. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand as high as you can. Raise it up. I see you. 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 Awesome. Awesome. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Awesome. From here to additional seating online, you can put your hands back down. If you're watching online, let us know in the chat so I'm making this decision. I'm going to say a simple prayer. I want everybody to repeat this prayer with me. Come on, let's say this with all we got as one big family. Let's all repeat this together. We're asking Jesus to come into our lives. Say, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity. Today I admit that I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. Come on, say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God, that you died for my sin, and on the third day, you resurrected. Come on, say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. From today on, come on, from today on, I'm forgiven, I'm saved, and I'm healed. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's put our hands together, church. It's the best part of service. People going from death to life. It's why we do church. It's why we believe in Jesus. He came to seek and save the lost. And here's the thing, if you raised your hand, we pray that what God did in your heart gets to your feet. And we want to make sure that you now start a journey with Jesus. And there might be questions, right? Like what, I raised my hand. I'm not too sure. I feel like I made the right decision, but what's my next step? We want to help you. And one of the things that we have is a free gift right after service. Um, real quick, if you, if you have a compassion packet, go to the table. But before you go to the table, and if you raise your hand, make sure you go to our Connect tent and get this free gift. There's a bunch, a bunch of stuff in here that we just want to make this day special for you. We got a coffee tumbler, a free coffee voucher to Circle Cafe, which is the best coffee in the world. It's incredible. But most importantly, we got a free Bible for you, and it's super easy to read. There's resources in here. Take one of these. We have an amazing team. They're super nice. They want to help you and, and, and help you on this journey uh, in the decision that you made. So go to the tent, get a uh, free gift. Now, if you went to, uh, if you have a compassion packet, make sure you see us at the tent. If you have any questions, if you need any help, please come see us. We want to make sure that you can sponsor a child with no issues at all and uh, that you can start this journey as a church here at Calvary, seeing so many lives change in Togo, Africa. But anybody blessed with this series in Nehemiah has been incredible. We're going to leave here worshiping one more time, but I just want to pray for your week. So if we can, just one more time, let's lift up our hands. God, I pray that what we learned today, God, wouldn't just fall on deaf ears, God. It would help us to literally change our lives, God. God, help us this week to put into practice what we learned in your word through the Nehemiah. Lord, bless our families, bless our marriages, and help us to be like my Nehemiah's leaders that have courage and compassion for those that are lost. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Let me pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you next Sunday. Let's worship one more time.